Merchant Brain. Okay, welcome back, everybody, to Kitchen Brain Podcast. Uh, I'm here today. I'm talking with Tyler Taze. Uh, Tyler is a, a local uh, Charlottesville area chef, Crozet to be exact. Uh, he is the chef and owner of Al and Mays, uh, which I'll, I'll let him talk about more. But um, it's basically uh, private chef, uh, private events, in-home catering, uh, he has a, a really great pedigree and, and, a, and a background in fine dining, uh, spent a lot of time coming up in the, the Charlottesville restaurant scene earlier in his career. And uh, it's really good to have a, a, a local uh, working chef and entrepreneur on the show uh, so we could we could talk a little bit about some some common places and friends. And uh, we're happy to have him. Tyler, welcome to Kitchen Brain. Good to see Thanks you. Thanks so much. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Sure, sure. Um, so yeah, so Alan Mays, um, tell us tell us a little bit about that because uh, I, I think now, um, and I, I think you agree with me. We've kind of spoke about it before, but um, it, it's probably a, a pretty exciting time, I think, for the in home catering gig given the COVID situation. Um, yeah. So what's, what are you seeing there? Um, yeah. So Alan Mays, it, it started out as a um, like a meat and three restaurant in Crozet that morphed into more of a rotisserie chicken kind of concept. And, you know, uh, things, you know, didn't line up like I wanted to either, you know, personally or family life, whatever, um, or just being able to find space. You know, this was about two and a half years ago at this point. Um, and kind of around the same time as I was doing that, I started, um, picking up private chef work in town and kind of started to realize like how nice of an industry it is and how nice of a lifestyle and way to cook for folks. Um, and so I kind of pivoted from the restaurant model to going all in on the private chefing. Right. And, um, let's say I've been doing that for about a year and a half now. Uh, so offer in-home dining experiences that, you know, what it comes down to is I'll cook whatever you want. Um, I'll do Mexican food, Indian food, tasting menus, like literally whatever you want and charge you a flat rate. Um, you know, with a lot of stuff built into the cost. And so, um, it's really easy for people to do it's, and once you kind of, you know, once you figure in the price of a meal in town, or um, if you want to drive to Stanton or to Richmond or anything like that, and then you factor in parking and babysitter and, or an Uber ride, if you want to drink and all these things, like your night really adds up. And so my aim is really to come in sort of, right underneath that where you know the upfront price may seem high if you're just thinking oh like dinner is going to cost me 40 bucks tonight but then once you figure in all these other things that you don't really think about when you go out to eat 
um, you know, and considering I'll cook you whatever you want, it becomes a lot more attractive. Right. Um, and so it's been really, it's been uh, received really well. Um, I've had a lot of really great feedback. I've, I've been able to meet a lot of great people, see a lot of great properties. Um, and uh, it's been really good. And the spring obviously got wiped out like everything else in this industry, but um, you know, the summer was busy. Uh, I'm kind of just starting to slow down with the holidays. And I think people are, you know, skeptical of COVID and the election and all these things going on in the wintertime. And, and it'll be, you know, like what's on everyone's mind is like, what's going to happen the next three, four months with, um, you know, the food service industry as a whole. So, um, but yeah, it's been really good. I, it, it's been great. It's been a great, uh, transition out of the restaurant world. Um, and I'm, it's, it's been, Great. Uh, and I named it after my two kids, um, oh, nice. my son, Avit Ava Lee. So I took his first two initials and then my, my daughter's middle name is May. Um, and the hope was that, you know, it, it, it's a little bit neutral, but it's a little bit homey. Um, so, you know, I'm not tied to cooking one sort of cuisine and I'm not, you know, it, it doesn't come off as like this weird luxurious thing that, um, that only a certain percentage of people can afford to have. Like my, my goal is to, to be a service that um, appeals to everyone across the board um, and have, have my model make sense as a, as a model to eating great food. Yeah. How do you market that? You know, I would imagine, um, you know, just thinking about the perception of, of in-home dining and having a chef come to your house, and prepare a meal for your family. I mean, like you said, it, it, it's, it just, you think about that and you think, well, only people with a lot of money are going to be able to afford this. So how do you, how do you market, um, all the different types and levels of cuisine that you offer? I, I, it's, it's funny because I, you know, I want to, I, I do a lot of work with, um, vacation rental properties, um, stay Charlottesville, um, which is a big one in town. They've been really great to me as I'm one of their kind of preferred vendors. So when people book through them, they, they'd say, Oh, also, if you want to have a chef at home, um, you know, there's a list of folks to contact. Um, Virginia guest houses is another similar company in town that, that, um, has also been great to me. So I deal with a lot of out of town guests. Um, and I think, they're, I think they're willing to, to spend a little bit more money for food. Right. But also the fact that just geographically, a lot of the, the properties they stay at, like if you're deep in free union, you know, or you're deep in off Garth road somewhere, like it's going to take you 45 minutes to get to a restaurant sure. and like you're going through windy roads and you don't want to drive back. Um, you know, so, and they, then they, they spent the money on the property, so they want to enjoy their time there. So, um, I, I think just naturally, I kind of appeal to that sort of crowd. Um, right. In town, I found that um, people, uh, I'd say they, they appreciate the um, convenience of it. Sure. Um, and appreciate the fact that 
um, you know, all the things that I, I try to do is like, you know, I'm communicative. I try to respond to emails very timely. Um, you know, I lay out expectations and costs, you know, I'm not a full service caterer. You know, I can't do a 200 person wedding. I can't do, you know, I'm not going to come in and make like some really cool cocktail for you. Um, is it just you? you, It's, it's me. It's a, um, I usually, if it's a dinner over, if it's six people or less, I handle it myself. It's if it's six people or more, um, I have a, um, I have a front of house person with me, Katie sale. She's another, um, kind of long time Charlottesville restaurant, um, professional who's kind of like she's she's gotten out of the restaurant world um and is doing other things but you know she does a great job and one funny thing i I noticed because i used to do everything by myself and so many times i'd go into a house and you know everyone's excited for it all the rest of it and i found that a lot of people when because you know i'm a stranger um you go into their house and they i i found people to get kind of self-conscious whether the fact that they thought the kitchen was like subpar or like you know there wasn't enough space or that they were just you know uncomfortable with you know me being there while they're trying to get their party set up sure um and and katie you know katie does a great job of kind of breaking down those walls and like breaking the ice and making sure they're out they're set with their needs and communicating with me and it's just it's been great since I've, I've started doing that and I build that all into the cost. You know, right. I, um, you know, I like having it being an all inclusive price. So people just see one number, you know, it's not, I don't have a set menu of, um, you know, the tenderloins, $39, the chickens 30. Um, I kind of craft it to where it's, you see one price, that's it. And um, it's very easy. I want to make it as easy as possible for people because, um, you know, I, I know how stressful it can be to entertain a bunch of people or to go out to eat um, sure. with a big group. So um, ease and um, comfort is really what I'm re- really what I'm going for. And I, th- I think I've tapped into a, a good uh, niche there. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Um, you know, I, I one of the things uh, that you know, one of the goals that I have with uh, Kitchen Brain is to kind of bring light to all aspects of of our industry and all the possibilities uh, that there are out there for chefs. Um, yeah. You know, I had uh, two episodes ago, uh, Rose Picard, who was um, a executive pastry chef in the civilian world and then at a, at a kind of an unconventional age. Uh, joined the army. Um, she was 39 when she did that. And then she started cooking in the army. And, um, you know, and, and I just don't think that uh, enough people know about what goes on in dining facilities in the military. So I, aside from her having a very inspiring story, um, you know, I also thought that, that that's a great opportunity to kind of uh, clue people in on that. Um, my wife, Hannah, did uh, a good bit of offsite catering um, she worked uh, with Harvest Moon for a little while here in Charlottesville. Oh, cool. <clears throat> and uh, when we were in New York, she worked at a, a fairly large offsite catering. And I don't, I, you know, I think that there are even chefs out there who don't realize 
um, you know, what goes into that. And even though you're doing kind of smaller uh, events here on your own, um, there's a whole lot of logistics involved in doing something. Off-site. Yeah. Yeah. And you can still show up, you know, you still show up to places and you're like, Oh, your, your stove doesn't work or your oven doesn't work. And it's, it's, that's, it's like this weird personality quirk of mine that I, I kind of like, like, you kind of don't know what you're walking into and you kind of have to figure yeah. it out when yeah, you're there. I think we all, I think we all kind of have that, yeah, that totally. weird quirk. <laughs> yeah. And, and totally it's the same way with like giant catering events. Like you have to like kind of embrace it, like how much it's going to suck sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and it, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not doing events for 5,000 people, but um, you know, it's still that same aspect of like, you gotta, you gotta put dinner on the table. You gotta figure this out. Yeah, sure. Um, do you do, is but, there like a, like a kind of a site, uh, inspection, so to speak before you actually show up? Or are you like sight unseen walking in and, and I used to, it ended up getting, it was like, <clears throat> I used to, I, there's some of the properties I, I I've, I've worked at, you know, in re- a repeat fashion. So I know what I'm walking into, but most of the time I don't really know. Um, I did an event last week and it was a induction stove top and none of my pans I brought were induction. Right. So it was like, it's like, why isn't this soup getting hot? (laughs) (laughs) And, um, but luckily, you know, it's like these, a lot of these houses are like really well stocked and they, you know, you're never like that screwed, but yeah, I was a little worried for a second. It's enough to like microwave everything. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But it's been great. It's, it's really fun. It's always something new. Um, and it's always, um, you know, I'm able to be creative while still, um, you know, uh, keeping my ego in check about what I want to cook because at this point in my career, like I, I don't, you know, if someone wants nachos and hot dogs, I'll, I'll, I'll make it, I'll make it to the best of my ability. Um, but if someone, you know, wants a f- totally a la carte, you know, a carte blanche type situation where they just leave it up to me, I'll, I'm happy to do it. Um, so it's this really nice, this really nice balance. It's this really nice um, uh, sort of workflow too. It's it's you know, I book the event. It's it, I've got it somewhat systemized now, where it's it's nice. Yeah. Did you always feel that way? Like with regard to accommodating, um, you know, requests that are kind of outside of, of the, the overall comfort zone or style, like were were you always like that? Or do you think that that's something that kind of came later? Uh, uh, I think I always, I don't know. I think when I worked for Tucker, he Tucker's kind of always big into that. Um, he, you know, he's really just, he's a guy that like, doesn't care what he, what he cooks at the end of the day. He just like wants people to be happy and come back. Um, and so I, I picked up a lot from him, you know, it's, it's like just going that extra mile to be like, like, yeah, I, I can cook you a vegan meal or to like, be like, you know, whatever it might be. It's, it's, um, and it, honestly, like it's, it's more exciting. I feel like as a cook, and you end up learning a lot. Right. Um, you know, working with like, whether it's a specialty diet or dietary restriction or whatever it is, um, you know, you'll see something new. 
Um, and, yeah. and to limit your, to limit yourself, I feel like to limit yourself in any sense of cooking is like really a, a bad path to go on. Um, you know, it's like you, I still meet chefs that are like, yeah, I just like, don't like dessert. I'm like, right. How do, like, how do you not like dessert? It's, it's so strange to me. Like, it's like, I don't really like like seafood. Okay. Like you still have to like learn how to cook it. Yeah. Well, so do you, I mean, that, that's kind of a, uh, I've, I've heard chefs go back and forth about this and I've seen, uh, a lot of bigger name chefs out there, um, you know, post their opinions about it. Um, particularly ones that own their own restaurant. Um, what do you think? Like, is, is there, is there an obligation? Do you think that every chef is obligated to accommodate, uh, all lifestyle choices. Um, cause this is like a big thing, right? I mean, there, there's right. the side that says, you know, you should, you should now. I, and, and I want to clarify too, because I think there's a difference between having the ability to, and feeling like you need to, um, because there are chefs out there that, that just will not, uh, cook anything for a vegan request because it's so far removed from right. what their concept is that they feel like they wouldn't be true to, to what they do at the restaurant if they did that. I mean, do you agree with that mindset or do you think that everybody's kind of obligated to accommodate? Uh, you know, and I, it's hard, you know, we, when we were in DC, when someone would come in with an allergy or restriction we were very strict about it. We'd take a menu and we'd write it up. Every, everything on the menu, we'd say, say it was a dairy allergy. We'd go through, you know, everything that had dairy in it, cheese, you know, raw dairy, whatever, not raw dairy, but, you know, cream or milk, whatever it might be. Um, and it was a lot. It was a lot to take on from front of house and back of house. And then you have those people that come in and they're like, oh, I'll die if I, if I get near a shrimp. And of right. course, that's a huge 911. It scares you to death. And then when you'd go out there as a chef, you know, a sous chef or chef would go out there and they were like, oh, like, actually, I'm just like on a diet. And you're like, oh my God. You know, it's like, and so like, I think some, some range I, I think has to be acceptable. Like, yeah. And it, it's a, like, you have, like, diners have to you know take some responsibility but i also think you know restaurants need to to understand like this is just how it is now um sure and but you can't walk into a restaurant and be like i'll die if i if i get near shrimp and then you know get called on your bluff or like you have gluten allergies you know whatever it is um and, and I know it only gets worse as you get further into, you know, high-end fine dining. I know, I know David Kinch has, has, has written a bunch about it of like, you know, they put so much work into their food and to, to have to do something that's, um, you know, a, a different dish for a restriction, especially if it's just dietary, you know, you're on a paleo diet or whatever, like you're costing them money. Like you should get charged more money for it. And and that, that I totally understand that point. Um, especially like in a, in a tasting menu setting like that at one of the best restaurants in the world, like 
like you know they're they're what they're going to put out is great but you can't expect to just walk in you know say you have this diet and you know expect a three three star michelin meal yeah i i definitely think it depends on the setting i, I agree with yeah. you there. i mean because you know i mean i if if you walk into a you know a barbecue place in you know, in Texas and, and you're vegan, you know, you're, you're probably, I mean, you probably wouldn't do that, but you know, and that's probably an extreme I, example. Yeah. I'm uh, sure it happens a lot. <laughs> I do think that, um, I do think that Alex, well, there's two sides to this, you know, cause, um, at, at Farmington where I work, we're, we're going through a big renovation and, and we're building a whole new kitchen complex. Um, and we're going to be the first club in America to have a dedicated, allergy kitchen so it's it's awesome. not huge but it's like uh it's probably 180 square feet so it's got some basic cooking equipment basic storage uh right. and you know we we're, we're putting floor to ceiling tile and even the ceiling is made of tile uh so we'll have the capability to completely disinfect the room from top to bottom um we're gonna have a surveillance camera in there just in case anything does go wrong we can kind of go back and see where yeah. we missed a step. So, you know, I think with allergies, I mean, obviously we're, we're a private club. So, you know, our members, we have about 2,600 members and, you know, they, they are all essentially owners. And I think right. in, the, in the club setting, uh, I think there is an obligation to say, you know, we, we will, we will accommodate whatever your mm -hmm. request is, as long as we can safely do it. I think restaurants, you know, and resorts, kind of sit in the middle but ultimately if you have an allergy to something especially if it's a severe allergy you should probably contact that place before you show up yeah if it's yeah, that we, severe we, we got to that point in dc where it was people with really bad allergies would contact us beforehand we'd make them a menu we'd, we'd clear it with them and they were super super grateful yeah um and so the end of that, and that, that's like kind of like the essence of like what you do as a chef and like a, a restaurant person is like you take someone and like you make them happy. And like that ultimately, that's all we do. Sure. Um, and so you get a lot of satisfaction about that. And then it's like the table next to them is like lying about a shrimp allergy and a gluten allergy. And you're just like, oh, my God, like the range of it is just it's exhausting. Um, yeah, sure. So, yeah, I don't, and, you know, it's like, I'd be interested to see how some of that's changed during COVID too. Right. Like ha have allergy substitutions and restrictions gone down? Like are people not following diets as much? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, we, we, our restaurants have been, have been going fairly strong through, through the last few yeah. months. Um, thank, thank, thank goodness for that. But um, you know, it's, I think there's, you know, it's funny when a, when a server comes in the kitchen and says, uh, you know, is there gluten in this dish? I always have to ask the question, well, I need to know why you're asking, you know, is it, right. is yeah, it a yeah. lifestyle choice? Are they severely allergic? Uh, is, I mean, we fry chicken tenders in the fryer. So is it a major cross contact issue that, that they should be concerned with? Or and, and the answer for everybody's a little bit different. There's definitely varying degrees of, you know, the severity of a, of a food allergy. Yeah. Um, but I, I think what a lot of diners don't understand is, you know, you, you can't just walk into a place and expect that, you know, 
they're capable of changing out cutting boards or breaking out exclusive equipment, you know, for each yeah. need, um, you know, and I think people need to, to make it aware. But when you talk about like a Michelin restaurant uh, or, or even just a fine dining restaurant that's doing these crazy tasting menus. And I mean, I, I think also a lot of diners don't understand that places like that. I mean, one component on that plate could have taken days yeah. and, and weeks to, to, to figure out, you know, yeah. and to conceptualize. And, and I don't think yeah. people realize the amount of work and, and brainstorming that it takes to, to, to make the things that go on the plates there. So to come in and say like, you know, I, I, I'm allergic yeah. to this, um, you know, or, or, you know, I'm vegan or whatever. Like, I, I feel like they're, you're right. I think it is some responsibility on the diner at that level to say, all right, I'm walking into a place that that's charging, you know, $250 a head for this tasting menu. I should probably let them know that I have a special request because I could throw the whole place upside down or not get served. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. And like, um, yeah, I feel like when I started cooking, it was like tons of like onion and garlic allergies. Right. Yeah. That was, you know, early two thousands, whatever. And then it was now, you know, it was gluten and, you know, shellfish and stuff. And now it's more like these fad diets that, you know, yeah. not even fads, like everyone's on them. Sure. Yeah. Um, from time to time. And it's just, uh, it's interesting to see how it's kind of all cycles through. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And but, the allergies uh, don't stop either, man. I mean, there's like this lone star tick thing. Oh, the alpha gal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's huge you know, in Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. You can't have mammalian meat. Um, I mean, there's, it just never, never ends. Do you guys uh, have like dedicated grills in the, in the main kitchen? For we, we don't have dedicated grills. No. I mean, if, if the, if the grill would cause cross contact issues with an allergy, yeah. Uh, we'll we'll pan sear with a fresh sanitized yeah. pan. Um, that's pretty much the only the only option because we do use the grill a lot to toast buns and things like that. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, you know, the safer bet for us is just to. But you know, like I said, like a club, and and I speak at uh, at conferences once in a while, and I did a talk a few years ago uh, about, and it was specifically toward club chefs, but it was about being accommodating. Because you'd be mm -hmm. surprised how many club chefs out there, uh, you know, are not real big on accommodating special requests, yeah. which blows my yeah. mind because, you know, I mean, like I said, the, the, the members, the guests in the dining room are literally the owners of, yeah. of the place that you're at, you know? So yeah. if you have so-and-so who comes in every Tuesday for lunch and you know, they're allergic to gluten, I feel like you should have every form of gluten-free bread that's on the market ready to go just yeah. in case they order it, you know? So at yeah. Farmington, I mean, we always have gluten-free hot dog buns, burger buns, sliced bread, and dinner rolls all the time, no matter what dining room you sit in, because that's, I feel like that's just our responsibility to do that in our set, yeah. you know? Um, but it, it's interesting yeah, to that's, hear the different takes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's crazy. And, and then at the same time, like, sometimes you taste like the gluten-free bread and you're like, this sucks. This is terrible. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not easy to find good gluten-free bread. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And it's expensive. And yeah. Um, and so that's the other thing is like, well, I don't want to like serve this crappy stuff, but like, 
you know, I, your, you know, your hands are tied sometimes. Yeah, um, but you know what? Then too, you gotta the, you gotta think too. Like they're probably used to it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. If that's I think, how so, I think people are just generally just like overwhelmed that you like went to the effort and are are happy to eat it. And like, like I said earlier, like it, it's just like another challenge that you have to accept, sure. and it's and you, you end up like learning something too, and like you learn a new skill or a new purveyor or whatever it might be. Yeah. And it's, it's cool. It's like, it's like part of the, it's part of the gig. Um, yeah, yeah. That's how I feel about it. Yeah. It's like all the, the, the meatless, uh, meatless yeah. meats out there. I mean, you got the impossible, you got the beyond here in Charlottesville, we have the no bull burger. Um, yeah. You know, there's, there's all these different options out there now. And some of them are kind of, I don't know if you ever had the, uh, the impossible product. Uh, I have, it tastes, a lot like a cheeseburger. It's pretty scary, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, I, I think remember... it, I can't tell if it's just like all the stuff because you put all the other burger stuff on it. If that's just like it like tricks your brain somehow. Yeah, it's but definitely the a fact vehicle. that it's like it's like juicy. You know, it's weird, man. It's it's definitely a little creepy. But I, I remember the first time uh, I had it was at a trade show, and they had uh, they made meatballs, and I mean, I'm I'm an Italian guy from new york uh, mm-hmm. my parents are from brooklyn uh i grew up eating italian food you know and i've eaten my share of meatballs in my life and they had you know these little tasters on the table a meatball little uh tomato sauce little parmesan little mozzarella melted yeah and uh, i popped the thing in my mouth and i was like you know that's crazy you know like it yeah it's crazy the 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 most it wasn't my grandma's meatball but if you didn't tell me it was somebody's meatball you know it was definitely a meatball um yeah it's it's pretty wild what they're what they're able to do and and like you said i i think it's uh i think it's pretty cool to just see all the new technology out there and all the things that are are possible with food yeah it's it's you know that side of the food world's always been interesting to me the like I mean, I, I like personally love fast food. Um, it's like a vice of mine. So that sort of like giant production of food and all that stuff's always been really interesting to me. And, and seeing that like trend where it's like kind of gotten healthier is, is, has been, you know, it's been cool to see. All right. So not Um, to get, not to get too far off topic here, Yeah, but you brought it up. So I'll blame you. Mm -hmm. Fast food. What, yeah. what is what is your fast food place? Uh, Chick Fil A. Really? Yeah, Chick Fil A. Huh. Why? Uh, uh, I just grew up on it. It's like a childhood memory, and I think their service is just unparalleled. It's so good. I'm with you there. I'm with you with the service for sure. Uh, but what about can... what about the whole Popeyes Chick Fil A? battle the popeyes the popeye sandwich is really good um is it? i haven't but i've it yet i it, i think it's when it came out it was awesome i think it's they've had to change some of their you know service protocol so it's it's i think they hold them a little bit longer yeah um and it's still good but i i think chick-fil-a's really got it nailed with like the portioning of the chicken i really I recently just found out they portion all their chicken in house every day. Yeah. They have like each store has a freezer full of chicken. They pull it out and let it thaw in refrigeration. 
Um, and they portion it every day for breasts and, and the, you know, the chicken nuggets and stuff. I had no idea. I thought huh. it all came processed and like pre-brined and stuff. And yeah, that um, I didn't know that, but uh, yeah, there's like this really cool business insider article on like the whole process of making a Chick-fil-A sandwich. It's fascinating. Um, but then they have this crazy algorithm that's like tells them how much to make every day. So there's no waste and it's wild. Um, so best fast food burger. Uh, uh, I don't know. Burger. I mean, in and out. Oh, okay. All right. You're going West Coast. I mean, I'm, if I, you're right. You're right. I mean, shake, I shake shack. I guess that's fast food now, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would say Shake Shack is fast food. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say Shake Shack. Um, but if you're going like traditional fast food, probably Wendy's. Huh. Okay. Wendy's. Does that include their fries? Mm, their fries are good. Best fries? Best fries is probably still McDonald's. All right. I, all right. I'm with you. See, so I, if, if I can't go to the West Coast to get In N Out Burger, uh, best fast food burger for me is mcdonald's and, and i know that's a i know that's pretty controversial but here's the thing i think that wendy's tries too hard to make it not taste like a fast food burger and when i eat mm. fast food i want it to be like good reliable junk food you know what i mean like yeah. there's something to say about the mystery of what what a mcdonald's cheeseburger makes you feel like and and the only thing probably lower than that is white castle uh yeah which i think something the only thing about white castle is there's a little bit of empowerment and being able to walk into a place and order 30 cheeseburgers uh but frozen the the ones you can get in the freezer section of the grocery store are are really good are they i just like yeah you like put it in the microwave, they taste just like <laughs> once you get to this restaurant. All right. So let's take it up a level here with the burger talk. Uh, because this is a this is a controversy <laughs> that we have that, that that we have in uh in our kitchen. Uh what do you think the best burger in Charlottesville is? Riverside, hands down. Riverside is my favorite restaurant. Uh the one the original one on High Street. Okay. Riverside uh is my all-time favorite restaurant. Ever, ever. I went there before my wedding. I went there before my best friend's wedding. It's the best. I've been, I've eaten there. I don't even know how many times. It's a good burger, man. It's, it's, it's the best, you know, and it comes, you know, their food comes on like the, those, those, you know, paper plates with the divots around the edge, like those cheap flimsy paper plates. Uh, yep. And it's, it's kind of like a, it's a smash burger, basically. I mean, that's, it's yeah. kind of the, the crispy edges, uh, and they've seasoned their fries. I feel like they put like Lowry's on their, on their fries. Um, so yeah, I'm with you there. I I didn't know if you were going to go the Jack Brown's route. Um, Jack Brown's is good. It's, it, it it is good. It's good. Um, I, I don't know. I feel like it's, I wouldn't go out of my way to get it. If, if, if I was looking for just a regular cheeseburger, Jack Brown's wouldn't be it for me because I think what makes a lot of their burgers good is all the stuff. I mean, you can get a burger with Mac and cheese on it and, and yeah, the like peanut butter bacon burger is actually, it's like pretty good. Weirdly. Yeah. It's like a vehicle Um, for, uh, 
yeah for the other stuff yeah um, and i the general just like the concept of that restaurant is like it's so it's just like and it started in harrisonburg like right you guys just sell beer and burger and fries it's awesome yeah it's and brilliant in college towns. of bras yeah it's always interesting yeah um, um all right yeah riverside it's i mean the cno late night burger is really good yeah, that's uh, so I have yet to have I, I love CNO. I've been there uh, with my wife a few times and we actually know uh, Dean Maupin, the owner. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. But he I was a Greenbrier have, guy, right? Yeah, yeah. My wife knows yeah. him better than I do. She my wife grew up at the Greenbrier, so she uh, OK, um, cool. she she knows um, a lot more, a lot further back in the generations. Than uh, OK, um, but she knows both him and his wife, um, who was a pastry chef earlier Right, right, right. Her career. But uh, I have yet to have the late night burger. All my guys say that it's 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 the best burger um, or, or it's a phenomenal burger in Charlottesville. But I'm it's with the you best. With, uh, it's the best bar in Charlottesville, too. It's it's a very it? unique spot. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. So, you know, you, you talked about um, starting out thinking about the concept of brick and mortar and then going to in home. Charlottesville is mm-hmm. kind of a, an intimidating place too, uh, I think, to think about opening a brick and mortar uh, yeah. with, you know, 500 and, and change restaurants. It's it's got the the most restaurants per capita, third third on the list of most restaurants per capita um, next to New York and L.A., uh, which is pretty crazy. <laughs> With uh, well, yeah, that's that's a true number. Um, yeah, I believe that. And and you know, you consider we only have forty thousand population here. Um, mm. You know, who knows what's what that number is going to be once uh, once COVID uh, runs its course. But right, um, to think about opening a restaurant in Charlottesville's uh, is pretty crazy. So you you spent a lot of your earlier career in charlottesville um working around you you mentioned tucker yoder uh, who's a pretty big name around here um and then you you have you do have big catering experience um yeah a little bit not I, you know it's like five or six months up at um design cuisine up in dc for yeah, john haywood who is a former charlottesville star yeah and they were doing big numbers right crazy numbers just insane volume i, I don't even know how it operated every day it's right. it always just magic to me yeah 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 those are those are some crazy operations uh, yeah and then you kind of looped around uh went to dc and you got some some michelin experience um which i i think was was unique because you were you were the executive sous chef when they achieved their Michelin stars, which is uh, a pretty phenomenal thing to, to be able to say. Yeah. Yeah. It was cool. We, you know, the, the guide came out and it was, it was kind of, um, you know, we were kind of surprised the guide was coming there. At least I was. And we, we were just, you know, head down trying to do is uh, the right thing and trying to put out good food and, you know, deal was like, the stars came and or the star came. Um, and it was just like really cool. Uh, we, you know, I'd never been a part of something like that. Um, and it was, it was one of those like awards that like everyone in the building could like hang on their hat. You know, it wasn't just one person or one, you know, small yay or server or whatever it might be. It was like, 
everyone had a part in it, which I think made it all the more special. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it was cool. It was really cool. We and- DC is, uh, well, DC is a really good, uh, well, this was 2016, I guess. Was, I'd say that was kind of the, uh, not the peak of like food scene there. Like there's, but there's, um, you know, from when we started in 2013 to then it like really grew exponentially. Um, and it just, it's kind of just exploded as being like a major food destination in the country. Yeah. That's kind of when, uh, Michelin first made its way to DC, right? I mean, that was yeah, kind of- yeah. That was, it was the first year the guide was there. Um, yeah. uh, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, everyone DC always had the always had like really awesome chefs like Eric Zebold. He he was the you know, the opening sue at the French Laundry, right? Um, just like a complete badass. Like had a badass restaurant called City Zen for years and years, and like you know like didn't get as much probably press and and accolades as he should have. But like um, you know there were some like really awesome restaurants in DC that and it was still a town still a city that um you know it, it got a bad rap because it was like oh it's just you know politicians going out to eat and um there's a lot of stuff tied like with you know it, it, it kind of like ebb and flow as to like who the president was whether the sure. you know city was cool or not yeah 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 um, I bet. um but it was uh, it was great um cool. yeah really good and really then good. you you come back to Charlottesville uh, in 2017 or or was that 2016? End of 2016, yeah. It was it was uh, uh, just about four years ago uh, this month. It was like November 20 end of November. My it was like four days after my son was born. Five days after my son was born, and he was born on the 18th. Gotcha. So we moved here um, to help open Brasserie Saison on the mall. And then, uh, he, yeah, we, we moved here and then we had soft opening like middle of January, I think. Right. And you were, Um, you were the, the opening executive chef at Browsery, right? Yeah, I was. Yeah. Cool. And, uh, yeah. Opening chef, uh, with a two month old month, month and a half old child, brand new, brand new house. And, you know, all the rest of it, wife transitioning into working from home. And yeah, it was just a lot. Yeah, sure. So um, what, where, where, where are you, um, you know, browser, cause browser is a, it's a beautiful place. Um, I, I've been there a couple mm, of times. Yeah. It's a beautiful restaurant. Um, yeah. I don't know if, if, I don't know if you were there when, when, whenever I ate there first, but, um, but either way, mm-hmm. um, really, really nice stuff going on there. So, you know, you have this, uh, this nice progression, you know, you, you came up in the restaurants in Charlottesville, you worked for some great chefs here, uh, made your way up to Northern Virginia, swung around to DC, got the Michelin experience, which I would uh, imagine was pretty, uh, pretty intense, um, but probably an amazing experience. And then you come back here to kind of put your stamp on Brasserie, um, and, you know, big family transition, you have your first child, um, who's about two months old, you said, right? At the time. Yeah. 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 Um, so you were there, uh, until 2017, 
um, and then you start your own thing. Was this purely a family decision or, um, you know, what, what, how, how do you go from, from one to the other? Uh, <laughs> well, it was, it was a difficult transition. Um, I'll tell you that. Um, but it was kind of born out of the fact I, it was such a quick transition from DC to here. And, you know, in DC where we had a great labor pool, um, you know, cause we were like the cool guys in town. We had people oftentimes just like working cause they're, cause like, they're like, we, you know, you're really cool. And like, I work a day job, but I like, I just want to work in a restaurant and learn how to cook. Like, okay, cool. And they would end up being like just an awesome employee and right. just crazy, crazy shit like that. Like tons of people on staff with like, graduate degrees um and like you know i was like oh this is just like how it is and so moving here and you know i thought i i a little bit been shielded from like working on the downtown mall just because i'd never really done it um especially in any sort of like manager capacity um and it's just uh you know i was really trying to like plug in the world that i had been living down here and when that didn't you know it was like square peg round hole type thing um and when when that didn't happen it was like i just like couldn't deal with it um and you know coming from like working in that that like super high stress environment of like michelin guide and you know tom sietzma coming in to eat and all this like all this just bullshit honestly um to to charlottesville where everyone's like a lot more close it's a very small industry it's very close-knit like it just wasn't compatible um and i didn't have i didn't set up the right sort of support system around myself to um make that make it a sustainable sort of job right um and it was in you know coupled with moving and baby and all that stuff it was just I, I just was terrible to be around. I was terrible to be around my wife, my child, my, like my, my employees, my coworkers. Like I was so fucking miserable. Um, just like, and like miserable to be around professionally. And then like, I also like couldn't do anything. Like I couldn't get through like a prep list if I was like to, to just like stare at it and look at it and try and do it. Like I couldn't do it. Yeah. No, no attention span, no sort of like joy in any sort of of anything related to the industry or like, like related to the restaurant. It it sucked. It like really fucking sucked. Right. And, um, and I think it was just that like, uh, you know, the lack of, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. What were you going to say? Well, I I mean, when, (laughs) when, When you, when you, I mean, I would imagine, you know, by now, um, you know, it, it seems like it seems like you made a, a decision that was right for you and your family at the time, and and I'm sure since yeah. then you've had uh, a big opportunity to reflect on on that um, situation yeah. and the way that you felt. I mean, when you when you look back to that time, um, you know, what do you? Is there something that you? 
would have done differently or, you know, what, what, yeah. what do you kind of attribute it to mostly? I, I think finding a really, really good sous chef um, is paramount. Uh, I hired two sous chefs over the phone from DC. I'd never worked with them, never seen them work, met them in person, anything. I'm kind of of the like Danny Meyer philosophy, like, anyone you hire, like you should want to have dinner with in like six months or whatever, you know, whatever that saying is like you hire the person first and then like go from there. Um, I didn't do that. I, and I, um, I was kind of dealing with that from the get go. And then also like setting up, setting up any sort of system you can to where you have, uh, you know, when you're single and young, I think it's less important, but as a, someone with, you know, especially a young child, like setting up a system where it's like, no, like I have these fucking days off. Like you can contact me, but like, I can't do anything about it. And like you, like it, it sucks because you have to be like, you, you guys have to figure it out. Like I can't, I can't be there every service. I can't be there every day of the week. And like um, setting that up from the get go, setting expectations from the forefront, like that's huge. And I didn't do that. Um, and how, how much it, were you working uh, when you were? Well, that's the thing is like, I was there. I, I worked, I worked a lot it wasn't effective working though. Like it wasn't effective because I wasn't, I didn't have any, you know, I didn't have like that person I, for a long time. I didn't have that person I could rely on. Yeah. Um, eventually I got a sous chef that, that I could and at, well, two, two really. Um, and like, but I also like didn't want to relinquish control. Cause it was like, like, what am I doing then? And it's just this like fucked up cycle of, guilt and pressure where you're just like you like want to be needed but you also don't want you like can't because you have family obligations and it's just it spirals yeah so do Um, you think um do you think it's this is kind of a a a big thing uh particularly that i i've been talking about lately um and and you know another part of what i'm trying to do is to uh put a break in in the the traditional storyline of what a chef's life uh needs to be in mm-hmm. order to in order to be successful and 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 run a successful kitchen um you know do you think that because I, I it's it's always it's always great to speak to somebody who came uh from a a michelin place because you kind of you know that it doesn't get much more intense than that uh, in a kitchen environment and the, the level of seriousness about um, the food. The stakes are higher, I think, um, yeah. you know, in, in those places. But uh, do you think that there is a way, because there's a lot of people who don't, um, that there is a way to run a successful kitchen, but also create a culture for life quality and, uh, you know, respect and, you know, being able to sit down and have a meal 
and, and all these different things. Do you think that that's an impossibility or, um, you know, or do you think that people just don't try hard enough to make it happen? What, what sort of, I, I think an independent restaurant, I think is extremely difficult. I think if you're in a situation like where you're at at Farmington, it, it allows you a little more um, accessibility to have, have things like that, like solid systems in place and like good time off for employees and like, you know, employee meals and all those things that you want to offer, you know, hotels, catering companies, like there are avenues for that. Um, But I think the thing that hasn't really been, figured out or talked about is like the independent restaurant and you're i think people are seeing it over the past year whether it's like you know people getting oh past couple years like you know chefs and restaurants getting called out for sexual assault or you know um you know racial issues whatever it might be it's like it's you know these places are like so high stress and so um, dependent on like people showing up to work and working their asses off and like, Oh, maybe that might be like 16 hours today, or maybe that might be like, you know, your 14th day in a row. Um, and like, yeah, you might get be getting paid shit, but like you work at this cool place um, and it sucks. And I think the only answer is to have a lot of management on staff, which makes your payroll super high. Um, pay your cooks really well, which makes your payroll super high. And it's just like, you have to eat shit. I think if you want to like do things the right way right now, you have to eat shit. And, um, I do like what people have started to do with like service charges to, to send money back to the kitchen. I think that's been a really cool trend. Um, you know, tipping is kind of like a whole different beast to talk about, but I think it should, you know, that has to change. Um, especially if like service models are going to change with COVID protocols, like whatever that is on the other side of this. Yeah. Um, but I think the biggest thing is just balance. Like the, I know the biggest thing for me is like, you know, when I was, when I was off, like I didn't want to It like being, I, th- I feel like the worst thing about, um, being in that sort of high stress position is like when you're home, it's like, you need to be home. Like you need to be off and like valuing free time and valuing time off is like so important to me. Um, and it's important because like I want it and like, I also want my staff to want it or whatever. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's like sustainable the way it currently is. I, I honestly, I don't think that like dinner only restaurants are going to be a thing in like 20 years. Right. Cause it's like, if you're like a, a talented chef or you want to have kids and all this shit, it's like, yeah, I don't want to be at work until midnight. Like, I I don't want to like have a bar that's open till three in the morning and then they've got to clean up and my staff goes home at five and like a dangerous situation. Sure. Like it's just not worth it. And 
you know, seeing all these avenues that people are taking now and pivoting to, like, I think it's kind of naturally pivoting to that. You know, you're seeing a lot of more, um, I guess you'd say comfort food, or you'd say, you know, maybe that's just what people want. They want, you know, things, sandwiches, burgers, things that are kind of, you know, they wouldn't have eaten a year ago. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it, it's, I, what we were talking about before, I mean, fast food. Yeah. Uh, it seems to be the most, although a lot of us don't want to talk about it or admit it, but like it, it's, it's one of the most sustainable models out yeah. there, you know, I mean, with the automation and the consistency, um, you know, the margins in, in freestanding restaurants are terrible. And there, there, it's, it's horrendous. It's, it is the most broken industry in, at least in this country. Uh, and it's like unbelievable how much it, it's, it's like this crazy dichotomy to me of like people are so knowledgeable about food now, just the general public. Yeah. And, but still so um, naive about margins and what right. it you know, people think like, Oh, your restaurant's busy all the time. Like you must be rich. Like, no, I, I like just like, literally just keeping the lights on. Yeah. Right. I mean, if you make 10% at, at the end of the year, yeah, you're, great. you're doing really well. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And yeah, people, people just don't, uh, just don't realize it. And you know, you can't just say, well, uh, let's all join hands and raise prices because there's no, there's no motivation for a fast food chain to raise their prices. They, yeah. they don't, they don't need to play the game. They're, they don't, they're not, they're not, they're, there's too much competition and, and the, the, the gap between the, the margins of competition is way too large. Uh, there's no reason why the, the McDonald's of the world and, and all these chains out there, need to join hands with, with the small restaurants, uh, yeah. you know, cause they, they just get more business, you know, it, yeah. it doesn't hurt them um, because they have buying power and, and they get their ground beef cheaper than everybody else, you know, so yeah. they can charge what they yeah. charge. Um, so it's really, I, I don't know, you know, this is something that uh, you're hearing, I think be talked about a lot more. Um, is this discrepancy, but then, then the wage discrepancy too. Um, and we were having kind of a, a conversation, uh, myself and a couple of friends, um, you know, just about what the back of the house gets paid. Um, and, you know, versus what the front of the house walks away with. And, you know, I don't, I, I don't want to take anything away from, uh, the front of the house. Uh, not, not at all. But just speaking about the back of the house, you know, they literally the, the the cooks and the chefs literally are responsible for producing the product that is being yeah. sold. Yeah. And, and, and the only thing that's making money aside from beverage. Right. So I, I'll lump even bartenders in with this. But they, these are the people who are making the products that you're selling uh, and a lot in a lot of cases too you could argue the back and i'm not trying to compare the front and the back but you to some degree in order to kind of sell our case here for for the wage thing uh 
a lot of people in the back of the house paid a lot of money for a formal education, you know? Yeah. Uh, there's not a table service school that you go to. Um, and, and you're not, you're not paying back a hundred thousand dollars in school loans because you wanted to serve tables. You might yeah. be paying back school loans as a server for a different degree, but the people yeah. in the back of the house, uh, a lot of them paid for a degree in actually what they're doing back there. And they come out and they're making $13 an hour, uh, to work on the line and they're paying back a hundred thousand dollar school loan from the CIA. Or well, whatever. I think that's, that's also interesting to me because it's been so inflated, you know, looking back on my own, uh, well, it's been so inflated to like, it's like, Oh, you got to work at this like badass restaurant. Like you got to work at this badass three-star Michelin place or like whatever it is. You got to go to Japan or whatever, Spain, go work at movie reads. Like, and it's like, well, like, or you could just like go like work at Wegmans, you know, it's like there, there were all these culinary avenues that I had no idea about. Sure. Until I got later in my career that like are, are, you know, they're culinary focused, they're food focused, but like, you know, it's like, you don't have to like get your ass kicked on the line every night for 13 bucks an hour. Sure. Um, you know, and I think that's, that's part of like the like food media world that's been so blown up over the past 20 or so years. Um, and it's, it really lies on them to be like, to glamorize that aspect of it and not, not talk about the fact that like you can work for a corporate chain, you know, grocery store or specialty food store, like you can work for a a buyer or a broker. And it's like, there's all these jobs that are like, great. They're like good, steady jobs. And like, I feel like a lot of young kids coming out of school, like have no idea about them. I didn't know about them. Yeah, well, I think also they're there, you know, I think the younger generation coming through, whether it was our generation or the generation now, you know, everybody kind of um, it, there's like this hyper focus on fine dining. You yeah, know? I mean, totally. how many yeah, yeah. how many of the younger kids do you see coming out and and all they want to do is mess around with, um, you know, uh, all these these crazy new toys. Um, and yeah, and, I was I was totally that kid. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I, I love, yeah. I love cool shit like that. <laughs> right. Right. But, but like, like, wait, now I look at like, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No. Yeah. It's like, now I look at a place like that and like, oh, like that looks like a pretty tight job. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's you just know, a change in my life, but um, yeah, but you know, I, 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 it bothers me that it, it has to take a change in our lives to, to realize that it's okay. Like it's, you know, I, I, I did a thing a little while back. Um, I kind of went on a little bit of a rant on social media about um, finding your why. Um, mm-hmm. And or, or, you know, kind of remembering what your why was, you know, everybody throws around uh, this notion of, you know, what is your why identify your why before you do something. But I think it's important to find your why that you established a while ago Um, because when you lose sight of that, if you're in the same industry, it's easy to lose your way, you know, 
And I feel like there's a lot of people out there who forget the fact that there was a day when they just decided that they were so excited about food and so excited about preparing food and, and providing experiences for people and making people happy through food um, before they, they became tainted by uh, popular opinion or, or what everybody around them made them think was the cool way to go in the industry and, yeah. and modern food and, and all this stuff, which, and that's all great, but you know, you forget that and, and you, we start to judge ourselves and say, well, if I'm, I'm not doing this and I'm only doing uh, comfort food or I'm only doing, you know, fried chicken and mashed potatoes, I'm going to be looked down upon. And that's not, that's not cool. But Wegmans is regularly voted one of the best employers uh, yeah. in, in the country, you know? And yeah, I mean, and, you spend five seconds in there and it's like, oh my God, like I'm, I'm a Wegmans junkie, but yeah, uh, I mean, it's, 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 it's insane. There's so much going on there and, and you are still able to execute your original why in a place like that, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, it's just, you know, it's not going to be in the New York times and it's not, uh, you know, you're not getting Michelin stars, but that's not why you started in the industry. You know, you didn't yeah. start off saying, I want to be a James Beard award-winning chef. You started off saying, I love food. Uh, I, I cooked with my grandmother or I cooked with my dad or, or whatever it is. And, and I just love to do this. Um, and you should just continue to uh, pursue that excitement, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you, man. I mean, everybody needs to realize that there, there are so many ways. So if you're going to respond to a post, you know, and say, well, you know, this is what we do and, and this is the way that it needs to be because it is what it is. And, and we're all a little bit messed up because we like this for some reason. I hear that a lot too. Yeah. yeah, It's yeah. like, okay. Um, number one, I don't really think that you love what you've become as a result of this. But if you, if you think that you're happy, then I, who, who am I to say that you're not? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But just don't, stop making everybody coming up after you believe that they need to be like that. They need to be like you, you know, cause there's so much happiness to be found in the industry. I mean, you're an example of it, you know, you saw some shit coming around and you worked in some, some crazy kitchens and you had that Michelin exposure and, and you did the high volume thing and you worked your way through the small restaurants in Charlottesville uh, and when you were going through all that, when you were younger, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, or, or even when you were at the Michelin restaurant, if you thought to yourself, like, hey, I'm going to be a private chef. I mean, I would imagine that, you know, at that time of your life, you would have kind of cringed at yourself a little bit and been like, yeah, oh, no, there is kind of a, a stigma that that goes along with that. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's totally it's, it's all I, bullshit. It is. And I, I don't you know, I kind of, I've always just kind of like done things and not thought about like a five year or 10 year plan. Sure. Um, <laughs> up until like this year. Um, so you know, a lot of it's subject to that, but like, yeah, I mean, there's, there's that whole, you know, it's like, Oh, it's like, Oh, that guy, like what happened to so-and-so it's like, Oh, he's a fucking Cisco rep now. Or like he works for us foods or like he works at the country club. And it's like, like, yeah, yeah, he does. That's fucking cool. <laughs> and like, um, it's, 
it's okay to like not be cool and trendy. I like, I'm okay with that. I, I could cook tenderloin and red wine sauce for like for events for the rest of my life. And like, I'd probably be okay with it. Um, it's, it's, it is bullshit. A lot of it, a lot of this industry is just like built upon years and years of bullshit. And it's um, bullshit from, chefs and owners to, to the food media to like now it's like social media and like everyone's a critic and it's just too much and and I was talking about this with someone I used to work with and it's like seeing well I'm going to call him out by name but like Bon Appetit like has imploded over the past nine months like for you know various reasons and it's like it's like they they created this world <laughs> that they're like facing it's like they're, they're facing the, the, the brunt of like this own food media controlled world they created. Sure. And like, that's coming back in their face because like you guys created this, you like built this up to where you guys thought you were holier than thou of all these people you employed. And like, you treated them like shit. And it's like, what did you think was going to happen? And, and it's like, you guys just write about like, cheeseburgers you know like you're not anything special and yeah it's it, it's and like that has been one thing out of covid in this store in this you know lens we're talking about like it has been kind of refreshing to see people going back to food that like is i'd say like more nour- nourishing more pure in a lot of ways and just more like, you know, you're seeing people like, well, we like, we can't serve fine dining food. So like, like Canlis in Seattle, like I'd say is like one of the best restaurants in the country. Right. And they've transitioned to like so many different concepts to just be like, yeah, we're going to do smash burgers this week. And like, we're going to do bagels and do like a seafood shack. And it's so cool. Like that's a cool, that's one aspect of the industry I've always thought was cool is like, having to think on your feet constantly. Um, and this is like been the ultimate test of it. And, yeah. you know, even just in, in Charlottesville, like our little microcosm, like, like you're seeing some really cool stuff happen. Um, sure. And it's not like, it's not built up by this, like this bullshit. Yeah. I hear you, man. I, I think, I think everything's going to kind of get more casual. Um, but, you know, I, I think I think a lot of good is going to come out of it. Um, I think that there's a lot of new awareness that's going to come out of it. And and to be honest with you, man, I mean, if I, I feel like so much has been exposed about our industry and I love our industry uh, and I want yeah. nothing more than for it to get fixed. Um, but, you know, we I think we all have an opportunity right now. And if we come out of this uh, on the other side of covid uh, when it's all over um, and we come out of this exactly the same as we were before COVID, then shame on us uh, for not taking the opportunity yeah. to make some significant changes. There's a lot of things that need to be changed, but, um, you know, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I'm looking at it positively overall. And sure. I've, I've, and weirdly, it's like it's benefited my business a little bit, you know, to speak selfishly. Yeah. Because, like, you know, I can cook a little bit more high end i can cook a little more you know privately cater to someone's needs um which you know you if that's hard to find right now 
Um, So I think, I think that's been a big aspect of, of why I've been really busy this year. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy for you. you. And I know you're just going to get busier. Um, and again, for, for anybody, especially in the, uh, Charlottesville Crozet area, um, Al and Mays is the name of Tyler's business, uh, www.almayscrozet.com. That's A L M A E S Crozet.com. Um, you can also uh, find his Instagram account uh, is at Al Mays Crozet. Uh, and I'll have those links if you're watching on YouTube. I'll have the links for those down in the description. Um, and just a reminder to everybody who might be watching this on YouTube, uh, if you like this video and Kitchen Brain Podcast, please hit the like button, share it, please subscribe, tell all your friends about it. Um, Tyler, my friend, thank you so much. Uh, thank for you taking time to talk to me today uh maybe we'll it. do um maybe we'll do like a post covid uh follow-up um when we're on the other side because i would love to to update everybody on how everything's going with your business and yeah um, totally you know uh, and and honestly uh congratulations for um you know making a change that was meaningful for for your life and your family um, I yeah. think that more more people in our field can learn from that and 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 take that as an example uh, that you can you know you can do whatever you want in this industry and and you know when you see somebody who was uh, a part of the the Michelin scene uh, and then was self aware enough to say you know I don't need to do that uh, I know what my skill level is I know what I could bring to the table. I'm going to build something really cool um, and, and, and do it my way. Uh, and you just did that. I think that's phenomenal. Um, so thank you. I appreciate congratulations that. on that. And uh, I'm excited to see what, what you keep doing and uh, hopefully we can get together soon. We, we have not uh, Tyler and I have not been in the same room together ever. So uh, <laughs> zoom is as close as we've gotten, but I'm, I'm grateful for, for having, I want to come see the new kitchen. Yeah, come on in, man. I'm gonna. I'm well. If the new kitchen is finished when you come to see it for the first time, I'm probably gonna uh, ask you to suit up and 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 cook with me. But um, <laughs> I would I would go down incredibly hard right now if I was to work a restaurant station. So oh, we wouldn't put you on a station. It would just be <laughs> you and myself. Uh, and I'm I'm equally as out of shape. So uh, you and me cooking for, me like, for a few like people. Ten people. I'm good. But... <laughs> Um, well, thanks, man. Uh, stay well. And uh, thank you. Yeah, thanks for doing this, man. Kitchen Brain.